You're listening to the Swim Out podcast, a show about the wonderful world of outdoor swimming. Hello, Hunter. Hello, Vicky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this edition of the Swim Out podcast, where we'll be talking about wellness. Coming up on today's show, I take the plunge and speak to the director of the Ponds documentary. God, it's cold. It's so cold. And then you're kind of like, there was nothing, you know. It just chills me out, literally and also metaphorically. I meet two women reclaiming their space and joy in the water. Swimming, whether it's in a, in a pool or the ocean, obviously the ocean has a special joy to it. Just being in that salt water, it's just refreshing. That's what keeps us coming back, just the, that euphoric feeling. And we hear from a new swimmer discovering the luscious truth about lake swimming. It's just been an absolute joy and everything that everybody says about cold water swimming is true. And finally, we spent some time on Hampstead Heath talking about what wellness means to us. The feat of swimming the English Channel. And how it helped us overcome our own curveball life events. Action Pack Show today. Uh, why don't you kick us off with telling us what's been in the news? Uh, well, Kerry Ann Payne wrote in the Times this week that open water swimming will save our sanity. So let's hope she's right. Yeah, I think she definitely probably is right. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing you're not managing any swims in the second lockdown. No, there's no swims at all. No, nothing, nothing happening. And yeah, can't even run because I've hurt my knee. Yeah, no, I think it's a difficult month, really. I mean... It is the month of mental health awareness and, you know, it's a big month for seasonal affected disorder. And on top of that, we've got a sprinkling of a national lockdown. So there's lots of reasons to feel not quite yourself, which I suppose is the reason why we've stumbled across the wellness factor as our theme this month. So on the eve of England's second lockdown, Hunter went down to the Serpentine Lido. Together with my friend Abby, we went around asking swimmers what well-being means to them. Here's Abby setting the scene for us. There's black swans swimming with people. There's geese, all different types of ducks. We've got wonderful autumn colours in all the trees. There's a really light mist coming off the water, which actually, when I was cycling here made my glasses steam up so I couldn't see where I was going. It's really busy. I'm quite surprised how busy it is because I think this is probably the coldest morning that I've experienced so far this year. If they don't keep us open, um, I think you might find a few people struggling. Everyone who cold water swims, especially through the winter, understands the benefits of, you know, on our physical health, on our mental health. I think... You know, we're all a bit confused if we're allowed to still exercise outdoors. This is outdoors. This is the perfect place to do it. You know, there's no requirement for a lifeguard or for anyone to put themselves in harm's way. Um, So, yeah, here on the final morning to make the most of it. Why do you go about outdoor swimming? What's the attraction there? I guess it's the exhilaration. So this morning um, and last night I was dreading getting up because I'm not a morning person, but... If I know I'm going for a swim, I'm going to meet some people here, I'm going to chat to some people. It's so friendly here, that's what I've noticed. Like, swimming here in the summer, just everyone talks because you've just got this amazing bond that you're... You know, other people think you're a bit mad because you're swimming in this big pond in the centre of London. But it's the most exciting thing that you dread at the same time as absolutely look forward to it. I was feeling quite blue before I started coming here. Yeah. You know, you get, and at least you think, oh, I've done something, I've got out, I've chatted to some strangers, yeah. you know, I've done a bit of exercise, and you got to nature. 
So you two don't know each other? No. 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 This is what happens up here. You just, you just all. I came on Sunday. I was feeling really depressed because my whole day had been cancelled, and I was like, oh, I'm going to be on my own again. And I just came down here and chatted to some lovely people and had a coffee and did yeah. five minutes of swimming. We, we've all got that one thing in common. How oh, everyone just. Oh, I think everyone feels alive up here. And that's the best thing. Very centrics, serious eccentrics. Yeah, we, we... We've been doing it a long time. We've Why do you do it? We've been doing it a long time. Why do we do it? Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. It's very uplifting. I just like the duck shit. I think it keeps your uh, metabolism up. <laughs> as soon as you come into the park, I felt the temperature drop by a good couple of degrees. All of a sudden, like, as I was cycling along, I could feel the wind going through my trousers and my thighs actually starting to get cold. So it's the first time this year I've been freezing cold. How are you feeling about the swim? It's coming up any minute, isn't it? I can actually feel my toes are cold already and I'm fully <laughs> dressed. So, um, yeah, this is a bit nerve-wracking. But the thing is, there's so many other people doing it. And I just think, well, if they're doing it, it, it must be possible. <laughs> I just think if you're an w- older woman and you're going through the menopause, for some reason the women can swim longer than the men and my aches and pains have gone, my joints feel better, hot flushes have gone, um, no anxiety, stress. So I definitely think this is really good if you're going through the menopause. So um, what's your method of entry, may I ask? Method of entry is going to be yeah. very slow. I'm trying to mentally get ready for this. Mm. This is my first swim in really cold water. So it's going to for be a long time. So I'm really excited, but I'm also dreading this. Okay. Apologies for any swear words. So that was without doubt the coldest experience of my life. Getting into the water was okay but then suddenly your head goes under and you feel just so cold but at the same time massively exhilarated and your whole body feels like it just goes red raw like heat coursing through your veins and then after about 20 seconds I realised I was absolutely freezing so I had to jump out but it's certainly something I want to do again it just makes you feel so alive When lockdown comes around and the local spots all close, one quickly notices how much we take our favourite watering hole just for granted. In this next story, Vicky found a community of swimmers on the other side of the world literally fighting through adversity for their right to swim. For me, it was about wanting to just just create a social, inclusive, friendly space that we all get together and go for a swim. I had a bucket list to, to get into ocean swimming. I just felt too intimidated being in this other group where everyone could swim and I just felt really out of place. I'm here on Zoom with Yuzra Metwali, the founder and powerhouse behind the group and also one of her heroines, a sea swimmer, surf lifesaver and lifeguard called Mecca Lala. Swim Sisters is a women's swimming group based in Sydney, Australia, originally set up to provide access to women-only pool space. It's now a national organisation running a variety of swimming sessions. The group was set up by women of Islamic heritage but is open to all women and now has more than 120 members. Recently they've headed back out to the beaches and taken the open water scene by storm. I asked Yusra how she thinks swimming improves her well-being. It gives you that sense of calm. Swimming whether it's in a pool, 
or the ocean. Obviously, the ocean has a special joy to it. Just being in that salt water, it's just refreshing. That's what keeps us coming back, just the, that euphoric feeling after you have a swim. So for me, that's something I've really come to value, especially when I was pregnant and in that birth recovery process where, you know, you can't run and you're limited by a whole bunch of things. And yeah, swimming is just fantastic. For the global audience, Yusra, can you set the scene by telling us a bit about the Cronola Beach race riots and the impact that this has had on swimmers in your community? Okay, so the Cronola riots uh, is something that's described as a an ugly chapter of history and it occurred over a number of days and it came about due to tension on both sides between young Middle East and Lebanese men and people at Cronulla Beach and that includes surf lifesavers. There were unfortunate events and it culminated on this riot that was fueled by both alcohol and it, it showed a really ugly side of racism. Anybody who looked like a quote-unquote wog or who looked like they stood out, were actually bashed with glass bottles. Yusra, please outline Mecca's role in your journey as a swimmer. She paved the way for us in being this poster girl, showing us that you can be a young Muslim woman, you can wear a hijab, and you can still not only just swim, but also really be part of the fabric of the beach and being able to serve the community as a surf lifesaver. Mecca, um, please tell us about your swimming and how you personally were affected by the riots. I grew up on the beach. I grew up feeling as Aussie as anybody, despite what I was wearing. Never really came into my mind, you know, wearing a scarf and, and traveling every weekend to the beach with my family. So I guess when the Cronulla riots happened, um, it just made you question what kind of world you were living in to know that you were hated just because of the way you looked or what you believed in and coming from a place where you call home was really devastating and I mean how how do you move forward how do you try and mend those barriers there was a lot of things happening behind the scenes in terms of communities working together and I joined a program that was looking at uniting those two particular communities so the surf life-saving community and the muslim community and essentially training us to become surf lifesavers so that we're sharing something that we take pride in and that regardless of your beliefs and what you wear we're able to live together harmoniously but then you know i went on to help train women to become pool lifeguards so the race riots were in 2005. What was it that drove you, Yusra, to set your group up in 2016? There were a few things happening at once. The first thing was I found myself being really inspired about um, the refugee team and particularly a swimmer who shared my name called Yusra swimming in the Rio Olympics. And she had this incredible story of swimming a boat to safety as they crossed the, the Mediterranean. I found it really inspiring and it was around the same time I was working in North Sydney, um, very close to the North Sydney Olympic pool where my manager was going out at lunchtime and he, he said, if anybody wants to join me, you can, you can come along. And I, I was quite mind blown because I just thought, wow, it's not that hard, but it was just such a big thing in my mind because of the barriers that I had to swim because of wearing the hijab. And then that all came to a head when France tried to ban the burkini in August. 
and I saw those images of, um, you know, the police circulating a woman and getting her to remove her clothes, that just did well with me. It, it really sort of brought out that sense of um, need to campaign against the injustice. And then at the same time, acknowledge, acknowledge the freedom that we have here to swim, but then I realised that I wasn't making the most of those freedoms. You used to be called Burkini Babes. What made you change the name? The name Burkini Babes was just made at that moment of rage when I heard about, about what happened in France and it wasn't even, it was, it was literally a Facebook status I wrote at 2am one night, like it was nothing thought out. And so once we, we realised that this is a bit serious, I thought we'd better choose a, a more appropriate name that is, is for, for everyone to feel like they can be part of. You both swim in a bikini. Can you tell us a bit about them and how it feels to swim in one? Over to you, Mecca. <laughs> Well, the bikini was designed by a lady called Ahida Zanetti, and she's this amazing little power rocket. And she designed the bikini, obviously trying to have, you know, Muslim women's faith in mind, um, but as well as making it comfortable. So for me, it's quite liberating to swim in it, considering what our previous options would have been, pants and a T-shirt and a scarf that weren't necessarily made of the appropriate fabric so they were just cotton absorbing water that could be quite dangerous and, and weigh you down so to have the burkini as an option to swim for me was really quite liberating to be able to swim and glide in the water what has helped you to keep driving swim sisters forward Yisra? a lot of women will come and ask us the questions that they have about what do you wear? What goggles do you recommend? What swimming cap? So that's what we're trying. So in terms of our, our, our goals, we're currently working towards building a website and we want to make it like an information hub. Yeah, look, we want to be able to spread the swim sister message globally because we recognize that a lot of women for various reasons aren't swimming. And it's, it's just one of those things. I mean, for me, when I started swimming, whenever I felt that immense joy, I'd, I'd actually lament and think, all those years I didn't swim, I, I actually felt quite, you know, I felt regret. You can catch up with Swim Sisters on Facebook, Instagram and at their website called swimsisters.com.au. This is the Swim Out podcast with Vicky and Hunter. Susan Mackay lives by Lake Geneva in Switzerland and featured in a clip in our adventure programme. She got back in touch to update us on her well-being and Vicky spoke to her down the line and started by asking her why she first got into open water swimming. Well, <laughs> it's a bit of a COVID story, really. So last November, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and I, I really needed to kind of sort of get my life in check. So um, I took up swimming in the gym behind my house and that was all great. But come March this year when the, they announced the lockdown, they closed the gyms. And by then I was sort of swimming every day before work and it was a bit of a lifeline really and I was feeling a lot better. And so I, I thought, what on earth am I gonna do? And I was walking home one night and I just sort of, uh, on my way home, I, I, I looked and I realized, my goodness me, I'm, I, I live next to the, one of the largest lakes in, in Western Europe. So I thought, oh, there's, a, there's an option. But it was March the 14th, so I took a deep breath. I had a bit of a think about it, and I Googled and found a wetsuit shop. And on the 15th of March, I stepped into the lake for the first time. That's how I took up open water swimming. Wow, and do you know what the temperature was? 
it was eight degrees, Ooh. a balmy eight degrees. So how did that first swim feel? The first swim felt a little bit like it might be the last. I have to say there were moments, breathtaking, uh, but in a, in a sort of cold, shocked kind of way. So what did make you keep going? I think I stupidly posted it on my Facebook page. And then my wonderful husband said, you've just bought a wetsuit for 80 francs, so you need to go back. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I went back the next day and, and I went back the day after that. What would you say you most enjoyed about the swimming? At first, I realised I was actually quite, I guess, scared by it a little bit, unsure and you know <laughs> sometimes if you you were swimming and then you sort of get grabbed by a bit of weed my imagination would would kind of run riot but over the time just getting a bit more confident as the weather got better there were more and more swimmers would come and it sort of started to be a community thing and I think it's been a really really exciting thing to get the confidence and and just the just the joy of the water it's it's just, you know it's just clean it's just been an absolute joy and everything that everybody says about cold water swimming is true. So then I hear you, you actually got COVID. It was probably about three weeks of sickness. So, yeah. And that was the only thing that stopped me swimming in the last 230 odd days was, was COVID. The thing I wanted most of all was to get back in the water. And, and it's great post-COVID with all the aches and pains that come along with it. The, the cold water is just the most exciting thing and just the joy, I think, of being alive and, and being able to swim and uh, reconnect. Living in Geneva as an expat, on and off sort of over a 15 year period, and we haven't really made local friends. And yet we went swimming and we started making friends. I think if anyone really wants to improve their life, they should uh, take up wild swimming. We're wishing you well going into the winter season. Next up, I caught up with Patrick McLennan, the co-director and co-producer of the feature-length documentary film The Ponds, a film which came out in 2019 and quickly became an overnight hit, lighting up cinema theatres and TV screens across Britain and beyond. The documentary follows the community of swimmers who frequent the men's, ladies and mixed ponds of Hampstead Heath over the course of four consecutive seasons, so it provided the perfect location for the interview you know missing the swimming like everyone else I mean I, I wasn't an outdoor swimmer all year round outdoor swimmer before I made the documentary but in the course of making it myself and my co-producer Sam he refused to get in the water <laughs> and I, I thought well to really immerse ourselves in the project that you know one of us had to get in the water and just experience what the year-round swimmers are experiencing so I did that I felt emancipated by the end of it. I, I was completely addicted like you know, everyone else who's an outdoor swimmer gets after a certain amount of time. So to answer your question, I'm missing it, you know, like everyone. So has swimming kind of been a bit of a thread through your life? I mean, you, you were born in New Zealand. You know, I kind of trained when I was young. I grew up in kind of um, a, quite a remote place in part of New Zealand. And, you know, I grew up swimming in rivers. And, you know, like when I was a child, during the summer, the, the rivers never got warm where I lived because they, it was runoff from the mountains, from the Southern Alps. And um, even in the middle of summer, they'd be about, you know, probably 10 or 11 degrees. When I moved to England, I kept up my swimming. I've always swum. And as soon as it got to September in England, I would transfer my outdoor swimming in the Lidos and um, 
transfer to the indoor pools, you know, chlorinated pools that were heated, heated to 27 degrees. And I would sort of swim in there, you know, three times a week right throughout, throughout the winter. So that's another way that, you know, making the film has, you know, kind of been emancipating is that I've moved outdoors, you know, um, all year round. And I, I really struggle to, to swim indoors now. Really would. How's it been for you, this kind of process of being a journalist yourself or coming from that background and then sort of the role switching a little bit and, you know, being interviewed about your work for a change? Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I mean, I, I really do enjoy it. talking about it. I can talk about it forever. You know, I'm not religious. And this is like one of the characters Tom says in, well, characters, I keep calling them the characters. It's not fiction. One of the people in um, the documentary, Tom, he says, I'm not religious, but this is the closest thing I do have to a place of worship. And I feel very similar to that. You know, it's a place where you can be alone with your thoughts. Alternatively, you can blank your thoughts and just be, you know, experience the cold and, you know, the natural kind of feeling that you get from immersing yourself in a body of cold water. So it's kind of changed my life in many ways. Where did the idea kind of come from? Where was the germination? Or has it been bubbling around for a while? We were casting around for a new project and we had to have, had to have three qualifications. It needed to have a, a fixed duration, needed to have a fixed location and it needed to be a really good story. And um, I was just having a swim one day at the Parliament Hill Lido and suddenly just had this brainwave. I thought, the ponds. I'd only ever swum in the men's pond once before and I thought, I wonder, if, I wonder if anyone's done a documentary about them because, you know, they're fascinating because they're an anachronism. The, the fact that they're still gender segregated, they're still incredibly Spartan, particularly the men's with the, with the cold, water, cold showers and <clears throat> the outdoor changing. So I raced home and I spent about an hour and a half on Google and YouTube just kind of like searching Hampstead Heath, Pond's documentary and every variation of that. And I found that there was only one documentary that had been made before and that was about the um, campaign against the imposition of fixed charges back in about 2004, 2005. And that was, that was very much about the political campaign to, to prevent the, the fixed charges being brought in. So what the film does so beautifully, anyone can enjoy it. And I think it's because you tap into obviously these human stories. It's stories about humanity really and I just wonder whether your interviewees were quite forthcoming to you as an outsider coming into this very intimate space. Sam and I didn't know what we were going to um, find in terms of the contributors and, and it was a shot in the dark really. We came down to film the trailer. What we discovered was that as soon as we got the cameras out um, people were kind of really interested and curious about our project and why we were doing it and what we were doing and found and found that that really it was um, actually it was a magnet mm -hmm. for people to tell their stories because everyone who swims here well most people have got some kind of backstory that that is interesting and some people as one guy pointed out to me, you know, I'd done a few Q&As and he said, look, he'd been in one of the Q&As and he's a swimmer and he came up to me and said, look, yeah, a lot of people have got mental and physical health issues and, you know, they, they use the ponds as therapy, but a lot of people here just come to swim because they love it. So I need to leaven whatever I say with the idea that, you know, a lot of people would just come because it's great, you know, they just feel good afterward, which is a mental health thing and physical, but they're not necessarily trying to heal. And, and maybe for anyone who hasn't seen the, the film, can you describe any of the people that you met that really stuck with you? It's hard to know where to, to start. Tom, the, the American chap who was hit by a, run over by a bus on um, Oxford Street, 
and finished up in a coma for two and a half weeks. I think his story is really compelling. He's quite a larger-than-life character. He, he said a, a great story. He said, you know, he lives in Hampstead and he used to come jogging around the Hampstead ponds before he had his accident. And he'd, kind of, he'd look at the people swimming at dawn and he goes, oh my God, are they nuts? What are they doing? <laughs> Beautiful swans. Um, fast forward to his accident and his recovery from his accident. He got on the water and, you know, he became a born-again, you know, cold water swimmer. And he was, you know, he'd get in the water at dawn every day to, as part of his healing from his horrible accident. And he'd see joggers going past and he'd go, what are they doing? Why aren't they underwater? Are they nuts? <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of sums up. As someone who's kind of closely observed the all-year-rounders, do you think there's any commonalities within them? I think there's a general um, camaraderie, um, just a uh, slightly unusual... It's an unusual club, and people feel kind of pleased to belong to a club that is slightly eccentric, slightly odd. I think the thing that, that attracts people to it, one of the things is that you know, not many people do it. So while people are sort of inside in their central heating and in their offices and under natural, uh, artificial lighting, they think, well, here I am in you know, two degrees water and doing something that very few people are doing. And I think that, that actually bonds people. So, so it's slightly, slightly eccentric, but not, you're not, you, know, people aren't, you don't have to be mad to do it, but it helps. There's such a, an amount of really strong literature about swimming and the reasons as to like why people swim, whether it's like Charles Sprawson or it's like Bonnie Sue, and there's just as you and actually there's lots of books have written about the ponds. There hasn't been many films about the ponds, but lots of books about people swimming here. And um, I guess you know you you come from that lineage in a way about telling stories about why people are here and and doing this. And I just wonder if you think there's something transformative about being in the water in, in, in any kind of elemental way yeah yeah definitely yeah it's even if you don't think on those terms I, I think there's something that transforms and that's why people do it yeah yeah without a doubt it's a spiritual feeling you know it's just like you know Tom talks about existential singularity and it's such a great phrase because you know there's he, he describes it as this feeling when the mind and body becomes one because when you dive in the cold water all you can think about is how you're, how you're feeling, you know, and it blocks out all the other white noise. It's like white noise, it blocks out all the other extraneous things that are going on. That transforms people, and I think a lot of people with, you know, addictions and, and you know, emotional turmoil and psychological problems, depression and anxiety, uh, it really, really helps people because when you get in the cold water, you're not thinking about needing a drink or, uh, you know, how sad you're feeling or you know, the, the anxiety, just thinking about, God, it's cold, it's so cold. And then you kind of like, you know, you relax into that feeling. And I, I sometimes, like, if I'm in a, in a bit of a mood, you know, I come down here and I get in the water and after five minutes of being in the water, I'm like, you know, really, that was nothing, you know, and, and it, it just, just chills me out, literally and also metaphorically, just chills me out, you know. Get in touch with the Swim Out podcast on Facebook and Instagram. In this episode, it is all about wellness and the wellness factor. And um, I think it is appropriate that we 
meet up and kind of talk about our own reasons for wanting to, to swim the channel. Let's start with you then, Hunter. When did you first start getting into marathon events? I'd never been into doing marathon stuff. I'd never really cared for PE much as like a kid. I was more interested in like drinking and smoking and being cool. And, uh, and then when I was like 19, well, I, I found out I was like HIV positive, which was a, a huge thing. It was a huge thing for me to deal with at that time. I was in my first year at university. I was like, this is a wake up call. I want to get healthy. I want to be, I want to be going into my twenties, greater sense of like health and well-being at the forefront. I remember going on a jog and the first jog, I couldn't go for more than 10 minutes without like feeling out of breath and like this kind of taste of blood in my mouth almost from just being like a really unfit kind of guy. And then I'd signed up to do the, like the London Marathon for Terence Siggins Trust, you know, taking my own health into my hands, like trying to take control of my health in a really proactive way when, when you, you know, when you're told you've got HIV, everything feels like you're quite out of control. Exercise felt like the best way of kind of taking control of, of, my, of my life and, and my mental health. Way, way back in the 90s, before, before you were even born, I, I swam at the Gay Games and it was the peak of the, of the AIDS crisis. And so quite a different time from now. Um, it felt like um, there was a there was a lot of stuff about how gay people were sick and all gay people's you know bodies were kind of falling apart and we all had this infected with this awful disease um, and it was I remember at the gay games in New York just um, s- some of the swimmers who were HIV positive just swam amazingly and one of them even broke a world record even though it was never ratified. But, and I remember getting from the gay games that sense of, of pride and feeling good about our bodies. And I, I wonder if that resonates with you in any way. I had this revulsion, I suppose, in, in my body, especially when, before I was like, on medication. The sight of blood or semen or even like my own you know, spit or something, I would always having this out-of-body experience of imagining what someone else would almost see and see this, see me as like a, you know, a virus, an infection. A factor in me swimming the channel was, was related to my HIV. It arose because of uh, a sort of career and like relationship meltdown. That was the kind of the crisis factor that, that, that led me wanting to do this insane kind of, um, this insane thing. <laughs> Um, certainly insane thing (laughs) what led you to want to swim the channel so I too had come out of a very tough place so I've always been a swimmer Uh, I swam all my life I was a a very sort of average pool swimmer so swimming's always been there for me but in the year in 2000 I I I was pregnant and um, uh, but I, I, I my son was stillborn um, and so that was a, a, a massive event in my life. From the event of him, him, him dying, him being born and, and dying, it was, it was a, quite a, a tough journey to get myself back on my, on my feet. A journey that t- took a really long time. Before your son Daniel died, 
had the English Channel kind of entered into your imagination as something that you kind of wanted to do and how do these things correlate and no, do they correlate in any way? And no, I hadn't really thought of myself as a long distance swimmer um, before then. I'd been very much, uh, swimming was um, something that I did uh, just to keep fit and have fun and I enjoyed going to competitions and do stuff like that but I wasn't really very good at it yeah. um, but I loved it, I enjoyed it. Uh, so no, I hadn't really ever taken to open water swimming at all really And but it was from a conversation that I had. Somebody said, oh, have you seen this? this new travel company called Swimtrek. It's like, Swimtrek? It sounds fascinating. I went home, Googled them, and basically booked a holiday immediately. And then on the first day of the Swimtrek holiday, um, they always do like a test swim. I was so nervous and so, so excited and so nervous about the whole holiday. The, the guide just says, oh, you know, off you go, swim out to the boy. And I was like... All the way out there, and he's like, "Yeah." It's like, "Oh, okay." And uh, off I went, and I just felt so excited to just be kind of boundless. Uh, for there not to be a finish point, just felt just amazing. Um, and I had this uh, real sense of my father sort of shouting out, "You know, don't go out too far. Don't go out too far." I was like, "I'm going out too far, Dad. I'm going. Off I go." Bye. And I just felt so happy. That holiday was just such a brilliant holiday. And it was the first time since Daniel died that I really had any sort of sustained happiness and felt excited um, about something, something new coming into my life after such, such terrible loss to find this thing and to that, that actually I was quite good at because I, 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 what I didn't know was that I do have an amazing ability to endure I can just swim forever and then I think you know from that moment on really I had that I had that swimming so I caught back from the swim trek holiday with a bunch of new friends that I just was so excited to meet I found myself a channel relay swim booked that did that the year after and then the year after that I I trained to, to, to go solo. Sadly, I didn't swim that year. Mm, the I got weathered out, yeah. Got weathered out. But I think I knew from then that I could do it. And that. And what I also knew was that the swimming, the training, the training and the desire and the goal, having all of that in your life, really helped me get my shit together. Does it, did it feel like you had to put yourself through some sense of self-flagellation by doing this really hardcore sport, which is really cold? And I mean, let's think about it. It's physically a numbing thing to be doing. On any level, is it like an anaesthetic to these problems? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think it is. And I think it's... I mean, for me, I think I'm very... I think after Daniel died, one of the awful things was, well, what? now what the hell do I do now I was meant to have a kid I was meant to be a mum you know I am a mum and yet I've got no bloody baby so I felt you know that was what I I had been planning for a number of years that I would have this baby and you know that was going to take up the next 20 years of my life so you have this massive void in your life when you don't have the baby 
um, and for a number of reasons it wasn't really possible for me to have another one so I was lost so I don't think it's as much a physical flagellation as a giving me, it gave me purpose again you can't really try and understand the huge philosophical questions about you know like why are we here and to be happy you have to kind of focus on the small things and the distractions of life and find a way to find pleasure in those things and I mean you know I've been reflecting on the, the channel swim and that whole parcel of my life wrapped up in that year and the channel is is a kind of it's a mirror to your soul and you know if you if, if you go down and you want to swim for six hours and why did my why did my son die or why did why yeah. did I catch HIV or you know yeah. or why did my a relationship I end in in real like tears obviously swimming has the ability to really be an uplifting thing and being in nature can be so uplifting but you can also be really you know stuck with some really your horrible thoughts in a way for long periods and maybe that's kind of what marathon swimming allows you to do is just to put you in an isolation box with some with some difficult things and you kind of have to mull through them and yeah, I mean, figure I figure it out and come out the other side. I think I think it's a it's really great mulling time, and although it can get scary, your thoughts, obviously, um, especially when you've got big stuff to deal with, it ca it can get scary. But I th I think I I think the really doing those big long swims, um, both the first time I trained and the second time I trained at the end of the day it was always so helpful I mean you had plenty of demons to fight and you know you had to do battle but well both of us you know we we slayed the beast <laughs> yeah the whole channel swim and the whole year and aftermath has an arc of its own really and although I went into it thinking about like this kind of relationship career crap and and then what I didn't realise was when I arrived in France was that the, the overwhelming emotion that hit me was like this sense of emancipation from my mum's like mental health issues and I just felt this huge amount of emancipation when I hit, hit, the, hit the shore. So what I'm trying to say is that I, I thought my swim was all about some shit but then it turned out to be about different yeah, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't it really surprised me that because I you know you were there when when on the boat back and I was just in floods of tears yeah. and I've never really it's almost like I've been holding those tears up for years I just felt all of that I just cast off this this burden that had been on my shoulders when I reached France and I didn't even it just took me by by surprise completely blindsided me so no, but the most amazing thing is obviously that we did it yeah, to the same second. Exactly. 14 hours and 40 minutes. So, that's absolutely you know. hilarious. Well, it's been quite an emotional episode, hasn't it, Hunter? We actually chatted a bit longer, so if you want to hear the full conversation, we're popping it up on our website, which is swimout.net. I think what really came out of this episode for me, really, was just thinking about sense of community. And in all of the stories that we've heard, that seems to be the resounding theme that kind of runs through them. Just before we go today, we need to say... A massive, massive thank you to Chaz Hamilton. Who's been our editor, friend and... Special correspondent from Cambodia. For the last six episodes. It's been so much fun, Chaz, and 
Thank you very, very much. We'll be back next month for our final episode this series, where we're going out with a bang. That's right. Our next episode is all about ice. That's it from us, so swim out. And swim safely. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.